Well, last week, I introduced a theme for the year. I have never in my life gotten from God a theme for the year for my preaching. I normally preach a series. And then for some weird reason, this year I wasn't thinking of a series. I had lots of little things I wanted to preach about. But this year, God really gave me a theme for the whole year. And there's going to be lots of series that go into that and lots of sermons. But, but really, the idea is, is this one theme. And it came from uh, my friend and mentor, Graham Standish, who was meeting with me. He was asking me about my vision for ministry. Jordan, what do, you, what do you think about for ministry? Because he was saying, you know, as a church, where we are as a church, we're at this point where we need more people stepping up in leadership. So it's not so much a, a pastor-centered church, but, but really it's moving to different sort of teams. And at that point, the, the, the role of the pastor is setting a little bit the vision, the big picture, and letting everybody else work their part of that picture. And so we, we, as we talked about it, we, we sort of came to what, what I think is my focus of ministry. And in some ways always has been. I just never really articulated it. And it was this. To help people experience, acknowledge, and respond to God in everything. To help people experience, acknowledge, and respond to God in everything. That's really the focus has always been in my ministry. I want people to experience God. That means creating experiences like worship experiences where, hey, we come together, we're going to purposefully try to experience God. But that also means trying to see and recognize how I'm experiencing God on Tuesday. Right? Or I'm with my work or with my, with my kids. I'm experiencing God all over the place. How do I learn here? Like this becomes the training ground for how I experience God in all kinds of other places. But not just that. How do I process that? How do I recognize that and then respond to it? So when God is saying something to me, when I'm seeing God in my life, how do I see it, notice it, and then know what to do with it? That's what I want us to be able to do to experience God and Last week, I sort of introduced this and how I came to it out of my own life. And so I'm starting there and then going to keep pushing this idea. I, I learned experience, the value of experience, before I worked in the church. Uh, my dad had been a pastor for a number of years, but then he got out of pastoral ministry and went to this place and ran an experiential education program. Basically, a ropes course, climbing wall, a zip line. We had all kinds of stuff. The idea was to create experiences to help people learn. So we would teach things like teamwork, leadership. We'd put people through a series of activities, first with like mixers where you got to know each other and then moving to harder and harder challenges. And then along the way, whatever, however the group was responding to things, we would say, okay, let's talk about your communication because there's kind of a weakness here. You're not really handling pressure well. How does that work? And it was amazing to me how much we could take a silly game like passing people through a spider web or throwing around like stuffed animals and, and all of people's fears and struggles. Like I could, I got to a point where I could look at a team and say a basketball team and tell them how they played because the dynamics were there. We were working with these dynamics and because we were playing games with them, we could talk about them in really unique ways. We could talk about them when the scoreboard wasn't on. That was part of the deal with the athletic team. Scoreboard wasn't on. So, for example, one of the teams I really remember, I was working with a women's college basketball team from up in Erie. And that team had been, I would say, a marginal team for a number of years. Pretty average to below average. Okay, Not making the playoffs, not a real solid team. But what happened was they got a new coach in. And the new coach was a very good coach 
and was an exceptional recruiter. Okay, so the way the team used to be was it was very senior dominant. The seniors ran everything. The seniors were like the only people that could make decisions and talk. And so this team had this one girl, she was a point guard, who had gone through the ranks. She was a freshman, then a sophomore, then a junior, and now this was her year. It was her year to run the team, her year to be the starting point guard, her year to have things go her way. But here was the problem. The coach has recruited a group of freshmen that were way better than she was. Okay, way better than she was. So here's her turn to lead, but she wasn't going to get her turn to lead. Because the fact of the matter was, there were such better players and there were such better leaders as freshmen that she was going to get hopped over. And in the preseason, she was really trying to win her control back. You can see the dynamic, right? So what we did was we took them through this series of activities where they had to work together. And she would try to control everything. But what she was actually doing was holding the team back. And so what we started to do is my dad and I would kind of take turns. We'd pull her off the side a little bit and talk to her about what was going on. Tell me about your experience with the team. <laughs> this, this was twofold, right? I could talk to her but also I could get her out of the way of what the team was doing. So it was amazing. She could actually watch. When I'm over here, the team is much better without me. All of a sudden, all these leaders starts popping up. And as the day went on, it became a real process of her trying to figure out, okay, well, what does this team need from me? And at the end of the day, they had, we had a big debrief, a big processing discussion. And uh, she kind of had to express to the team how upset she was that, that she's, she's, she's not in charge, and she waited her whole four years for it to be her turn, and now it's not her turn. But how sad she was about that, but also how clearly she said that she needed to do that. She needed to step back. And it was amazing. What happened was the team then came around her and said, hey, wait, we need you. Like, we're all freshmen. We've not been through this. We don't know how this works. We're nervous about all this. And so that girl ended up becoming a captain on that team, even though she wasn't dominating the team. Now, we could have gone through most of the season, and the coach could have pulled her aside and talked to her, but because we were using experiences, she was able to, it was like a little laboratory where she could pull back and look at it, and then process it, and then try new behaviors. You learn by experience. Don't, everybody knows this, right? You ever have stuff that your mom told you over and over and over again? And then when you became your adult, you're like, dang it, she was right. Like some lessons you got to learn by what? Experience. Because when you experience something, then you learn it for yourself. Okay? My, my parents telling me it, well, that's their lesson trying to put on me. Some lessons you got to experience for yourself. Okay? And, and so experience is so valuable. And our economy is figuring this out right now. Right now, too. I'm reading this really interesting book called um, The Experience Economy by a guy named B. Joseph Pine and James H. Gilmore. And they're looking at this from a business perspective. And this is what they say. I find this really fascinating. A lot of you, I think, will, this will click. They'll understand. It used to be that the, the real drive in our economy was um, commodities, natural resources. Okay, what really drove the economy was could you mine it? Could you grow it? Could you chop it down? Could you forest it? So who were the great money makers? The oil barons, right? The, uh, the, the gold miners, the, the big farmers. It was a, it was a commodities-driven economy. Most of the world was a commodity-driven economy for the longest of times. 
Then we went into the industrial sort of world where the real power, we still needed commodities, we still needed raw goods, but what actually made money and drove the economy were goods. Okay, what could you do with the wood? What could you bake with the grains? That was where the actual money was, and that was what the economy was really driven by. Okay, so how many of you, your parents were farmers? How many of you can remember that your parents being farmers, your grandparents had a farm? Okay, how many of you then went to work in a factory? Went to work in some kind of thing where you were making something? But, but then it changed again. Because the problem with a goods economy is, well, we can get competitive with goods. If I make a widget, somebody else makes a widget for cheaper, I'm in trouble quickly. Okay, and so the market gets flooded by goods. Hard to compete on goods. So what becomes the next thing? Services. Service, we get the where, where, yeah, we still need commodities, we still need goods, but the competitive advantage was services. Not just selling you something, but selling you something with a great warranty, with great customer service, or with whole industries that were just service-based, where you weren't selling any object, you were selling a service. The economy has changed again. Okay, there's plenty of services out there. It's really become an experience economy. People want good experiences. I can prove it. How many of you have been to Starbucks? Have you been to Starbucks? Starbucks, does Starbucks have the best coffee? No. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. It's good. I actually like it. But it is not the best coffee. Okay? Um, are they using the best coffee beans? No, so they're not winning. They're not winning on uh, commodity. And they're not actually winning on good. Is the service pretty good? Yeah, actually, service is pretty good. Um, in fact, if you ever have a really long line at Starbucks, chances are good they're going to build another Starbucks across the street. That's what they're going to do to try to keep the... But, but really, what you get at Starbucks is an experience. It's the place. It's the location. It's the mood. Yeah, I can go to any Starbucks. And actually, Starbucks is good at this because they put local pictures in most of the Starbucks. So you can get the same cup of coffee anywhere in the world, but the pictures in the place are going to be of the local community. Starbucks, expensive coffee, it's cheap creative space. That's what they know. That's what they're selling. Because that's what people want is experiences. One of the biggest real estate companies in the world, Zillow, doesn't own and they don't even sell properties. They give people the experience of finding properties. Vacation giants like VRBO, like Airbnb, give you great places, great stays. They don't own any of them. It's not just a service. I can go to a, um, I can go to a uh, travel agent to rent a lot of places. They're giving you the experience of doing it online and finding something really cool and really local. Car companies. Car companies. How many of you have, have seen these places now where you can go and it's no pressure car sales because the employees all work on salary. So they're not trying to pressure you. You can order a car on Carvana. Have you seen this? Carvana has a car vending machine. Have you seen it? There's one. It's going down 79 uh, south of Pittsburgh. It's a giant vending machine of cars. And if you buy a Carvana car online, you can go to the car vending machine, punch in your number, and pick up your car. Everybody, that's an experience. Doesn't it, all of a sudden it sounds cool, right? Right? I'd love to try it. Like, like, imagine if you bought a car from Carvana, you could load up four car worths of people that just want to go see you get your car out of the vending machine. 
See, the competitive advantage of the future is, is experience. It's experience. And, um, and that's, that's going to be, people want experiences. And, and you can say, well, COVID stopped that. No, it didn't. COVID did two things. It made experiences more valuable because we lost them for a year and we missed them. Okay? And COVID made them virtual. Now we have virtual experiences. I've been seeing this in my own house. My own house. Okay, for Christmas, my daughter Morgan didn't want anything for Christmas. She wanted a trip. Okay, she was turning 16. She has two friends that are twins that have the same birthday as her. Okay, that live in Florida. And so what she wanted for Christmas was not stuff. She wanted a trip to Florida. She wanted to experience over stuff. My oldest son, Jaden, he wanted stuff. <laughs> but, but what he wanted was what's called an Oculus Quest. You know what this is? A virtual reality headset. So that you can be all kinds of places. And it is wild. Okay, it is wild. Like, I cannot believe, I've been talking about the virtual world coming online for a long time. It is so weird to have such a huge leap forward of this in my house. So I have put it on and I've gone skydiving. I've been to Disney World. I've explored Israel. I've done all these things all through virtual reality. See, see, what younger generations want is experience. Okay, even more than older generations. Experience. That is where we are going. So what does that mean for us? Well, the world is going towards experience. Next generations are going towards experience. And as a church, we need to focus on experience. And that, that really always was the focus, right? We would, we would like build these weird buildings called churches where you could come experience God and we'd light candles. Ours went out, I noticed that. And uh, you'd have incense, you'd go through all these things. Why? To experience God in some way. But the church also said what I'm saying, which was it's not enough just to experience God. At some point, you need to talk about what you experience. You need to have language for it. You need to have theology. Okay, We need to have concepts. We need to understand our Bibles. We need to reflect. Otherwise, we don't, otherwise all these times we're experiencing God in our lives, we don't necessarily learn the things God put before us. Okay, it's like a cat that gets up on the stove and burns its paws. Okay? Cat climbs up on the stove, burns its paws because the stove is off, jumps down, and is like, I'm never going up there again. They've learned the lesson, right? Don't ever get on the stove. No, they only learned part of the lesson. Right? Cat can get up on the stove. Not when it's on. Cat doesn't know when it's on, when it's off, how the dials work, what the light, like, there's a whole bunch of lessons that they missed. They just took, like, nope, don't ever do that again. How many people have experienced something in their lives where you were in a terrible, broken relationship and you got burned and you jumped off the stove and you said, I'm never doing that again. I'm never trusting again. You started a business, you risked yourself, put yourself out there, it failed, and you were like, nope, no more risk. What if God was trying to teach you a lot more than just don't ever try again? For I know a lot of Christians that, that have done this. They trusted God, and then when things got wrong, they got mad at God because it didn't go right the way they wanted it to. Well, maybe your expectations were bad. Maybe there was a lot more reflecting you should have done 
But how often we go through pain and we go through heartache and we go through suffering and we never process. We never look back to actually say, well, what happened and what do I learn from that? And what was God teaching me with that? We move on to the next thing. And then this is what happens. Does this drive anybody else crazy? How many of you had to learn the same lesson over and over again? Like if God tries to teach me patience one more time, right? And it just keeps cycling back because we never took the time to process and actually learn the experience to begin with. This is what the Bible is all about. The Bible is a series of stories about people experiencing God and reflecting on it. I think our faith is deeply experiential. This is how my mentor, Len Sweet, talks about it in his book, The Gospel According to Starbucks. Is God a reality to be experienced or a belief to be remembered? Is Christ a living force to be experienced or a historical figure to be reckoned with? The Bible is less a book about how, many, how people thought about God than it is a book about the religious experiences of individuals and communities. Experience is the engine room of biblical and spiritual enterprise. End quote. Actually, what this is all about is experiencing God. But not just experiencing it. Recognizing it. Noticing it. Responding to it. Processing it. Not just talking about Jesus as a historical figure, but what is Jesus doing in my world, in my life, in my neighborhood, and how do I get on board with that? That's what I hope for you. My hope, my prayer, my ministry is all about experiencing God in worship, community, potlucks, bus trips, nut rolls, bedsides, funerals, all over the place where God already is. But we don't tend to notice, and we don't tend to think about it, and we don't tend to reflect on it. So church becomes, let's get together in this safe space to practice experiencing God. Like, it's really easy here. You're supposed to do it here, but we're training so that with your, when you're at work, when you're with your grandkids, when you're out there creating something, when you're following your passions, when you have grief or doubt or you fail, then we've practiced it here so you do it out there. We have to learn how to process it. Listen to these words from Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. You've probably heard these words before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Okay, We, we could probably talk about that for a long time. We often do the opposite of that. But I'm really interested today in that, la- that second part. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. What is that word acknowledge? It's, it's an interesting word in Hebrew. It's the word know, to, to know something. But it's like a verbal command. So it's kind of hard to translate. They say acknowledge, which implies like saying it, but I I don't know that that's necessarily the implication. Um, It could be uh, just to know. Make sure you know. The New Living Translation, which is a more fluid translation, says, seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. So they have this sense of seeking God's will in the middle of that. But I like what the Amplified Bible does. Have you heard of the Amplified Bible? So what it, it's, a great, it's a great thing. You can look it up online if, you don't, if you're struggling to understand a verse. The Amplified Bible, instead of picking from like three or four words that a word could mean, they'll just give you all of them. Like It'll just give you a couple synonyms for the same word to help you understand the breadth of what's going on. Here's what it says. In all your ways, know and acknowledge and recognize Him. And He will make your paths straight and smooth. 
I love that. What if, what if, what if we took seriously the idea that God is already with you at work? So your job is to know it, to recognize it, to be like, oh, there he is. Here's what God's doing. Wait, what are we all trained our little antenna to say, oh, oh, there's God there. No, where's, I'm going to follow that. Where's that? I'm going to go with that. That's what we're talking about. Not just knowing, not, not just experiencing God, but, but, but our antenna tuned to know. So that's the question. How do we recognize God in our experiences? Well, a couple quick thoughts to end. We have to train our eyes to do that. We have to put a high value on God experience. We've got to assume. We have to start as Christians assuming when I go to a board meeting, God is there. When I go to a hospital, God is there. Now I'm looking for him. We need to talk about it. We need to process. I can't tell you how many Christians go through something really great, go through something really terrible, and never learn the lessons. Because they didn't sit down and think about it, or they didn't journal, or they didn't talk to somebody. Who do you have in your life that you can go to and say, I want you to help me think about how God's been at work in my life through this difficult season? Who's your person that you can talk to like that? I think you can pray and ask God to help you to see Him in, his, in your life. Schedule times. What's your, when, when do you have planned this week some time with God? Okay, when do you have time to reflect on what's going on in your life? If you don't plan it, you're not doing it. And where do you experience God? Okay, is it, is it out on a walk? Is it, is it fishing? Is it uh, when you go biking? Is it uh, at a coffee shop when you can put on headphones and just with a good cup of coffee? Or is it Starbucks? It, where is it that you experience and you get close for God? Is there a person that when you're around this person, you feel close to God? Right, what is it? Find those things and lean into them. So from here, we're going to start diving next week into the idea of time, experiencing God in times and seasons, in everyday life. The next week, we're going to do a couple sermons on doubt and this idea of deconstruction that so many people are going through. We're going to talk about forgiveness. But we're going to keep fleshing out this idea of how do we experience, acknowledge God, and respond to God in all those things. But for now... Consider the value of experience and may you take some time this week to journal or go for a walk or a drive to talk to somebody else about your God experiences. What were the times where you felt closest to God? What were the times where you felt further away from God? Talk about that with somebody else. I think that processing helps us in responding to our God experiences. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.